Hello, I'm Scott Millis, senior pastor here at Living Word Family Church, and I'd like to welcome you to our podcast. We want to thank you for joining us today, and we hope that today's message encourages you and equips you in your walk with Christ. Here's today's message. I said two important things about this message. One is that it's short, and I really do believe that it is, but I'm leaving time at the end to pray for some people. Uh, And... Uh, The other thing I said is that it is my intention to wrap this series on the Holy Spirit up today. But I need to make a disclaimer. I hope, and I hope what I'm saying here is more or less obvious to everybody, which is that when I say I'm wrapping up a series, it doesn't mean that I've said all there is to say about the Holy Spirit. I mean, duh, right? The Holy Spirit is God, and we can never say, it means he's infinite, We can never say all there is to say about any member of the Holy Trinity. The aim of this series was simply to spend some time looking at some of the ways the ministry of the Holy Spirit is distinct or specific to him uh, and how uh, he works in complete harmony with the Father and the Son. So today, this is about encouraging you and challenging you, and reminding you, stirring you up, uh, and how to respond, some specific uh, takeaways from this series that you can start and should start practicing right away. So to do that, first, I want to go back to 1 Corinthians chapter 14 for a minute, and in verse 14, 1 Corinthians 14, 14, for if I pray in a tongue, my spirit prays but my understanding is unfruitful. What is the conclusion then? I will pray with the Spirit, and I will also pray with the understanding. I will sing with the Spirit, and I will sing also with the understanding. And then in Jude 1, or Jude actually, uh, verse 20, but you, beloved, building yourselves up on your most holy faith, praying in the Holy Spirit, Keep yourselves in the love of God, looking for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ unto eternal life. Now, I've said this before, probably in this series. We are not going to get extra credit. We're not going to receive a special reward in heaven for believing the right things, for being doctrinally superior to somebody else. Those things are real. We can have a better doctrine, a clearer doctrine, a more correct doctrine, And I believe, on the whole, uh, there are many other, there might be other points of difference between one congregation and another, but uh, just looking at this issue, a church that embraces the Holy Spirit and his gifts for today is more doctrinally correct than a church that rejects them or embraces the idea that they have ceased. Right? We are more correct. But that does us no good and edifies us not at all if we just believe in the gifts but don't operate in the gifts. That's the blessing. Not just believe, oh yes, praise the Lord, Uh, my eyes have been opened and I feel clean and doctrinally pure because I believe in the gifts of the Spirit. When was the last time you operated in a gift of the Spirit? When was the last time you allowed the Holy Spirit to manifest his gift? And it's like, oh, goodness, it didn't, he, didn't, he didn't use me. Is that my fault? Have you eagerly desired to be used? Because that's the command, isn't it? Earnestly desire the best gifts. Uh, 
it's just kind of, you know, the idea, faith without works is dead. And this is it. You know, a belief without works is dead. It's useless. It's kind of like having a workshop full of beautiful, powerful, expensive tools of every kind. Right? And never doing anything with them. You can say, look at these tools. I am a builder. I'm a mechanic. I'm a repairman. You are? Yes, I, I must be. Look at all this stuff I have. Well, what, what have you built? Nothing yet. Well, what have you fixed? What have you repaired? Nothing. How can you call yourself a, a carpenter or a builder or a repairman? Are you kidding? Look at my tools. What a waste. What a waste of money. What a waste of space if you are not using these things. Yeah, same thing you could apply. This is probably a better analogy. Would be in warfare. To have all these great weapons and systems and vehicles. And then to do, well, we don't want to get out there and make a mess. It was Herman Woke who said, frugally guarded weapons are not weapons at all. We've got to employ these things in spiritual warfare, right? So, uh, like, look, we can be, uh, we can be and should be all about evangelism. That should be our heart, right? I, I read somewhere we should live the gospel and preach the gospel. And if we care about our neighbors, if we care about the world and all the people that are slipping into hell every minute, uh, it ought to motivate us to share the gospel. But I also understand this, that there's there are going to be times in our lives, you know, there's only 24 hours in a day, there's times in our lives when we are not going to be evangelizing. Uh, you can't abuse your boss's time. If you work in an office or you work, he's paying you to do one thing. Uh, you can't abuse that by spending your time on the clock evangelizing, preaching. You need to be working. Uh, if you're at home with your believing family, you're not going to be evangelizing. And you're not always going to have uh, a word every time in the assembly. And you're not always going to be in the assembly. So there's certain gifts you're not going to flow in. You can't just say, well, hey, I'm here by myself in the car. I think I will uh, prophesy. I think I'll cast out a demon or, or I think I'll, I'll spiritually discern a demon or whatever. There's things that you can't do in every, any given circumstance. But there's some things that you can do practically any time. You don't have to be in the assembly to pray in tongues. Right? Jesus commanded us to lay hands on the sick. But if you're alone in the car and you're not sick, are you being disobedient by not laying hands on the sick? No, it just means when you encounter a sick person, you have the opportunity. What are you supposed to do? You're supposed to lay hands on them. You're supposed to heal them. But you can pray, and you can pray in tongues, and you should. This is what Paul was talking about when he said, I'm thankful I do it more than you all. He wasn't talking about, I'm glad I manifest that gift, and, I, and I'm, a, I'm better at it in the assembly than you all. He says, what happens when I'm praying in, in the Spirit? I'm being built up. I'm giving thanks. And this benefits me. He says, now my mind's unfruitful. What do I do about that? Well, I'll also pray with the understanding. This is all review. I'm just saying that one of the takeaways of this, one of the big takeaways is if we desire the gifts to be in broader manifestation in the assembly, one of the best things you can do between assemblies is pray in the Spirit. This is something that should be a part of your regular life as a Christian, daily. And I'll say a little bit more about it in a minute, because I know there are people who struggle with their prayer language. All right? 
Uh, this is where also, when we talk about being filled with the Spirit, uh, I started this series uh, referring several times to a book by R.A. Torrey, The Person and Work of the Holy Spirit. Uh, and I know, and I know a, a few of you have gotten your hands on that book or an electronic copy. I, I got some feedback from several of you just loving the book. It's a tremendous, maybe the best book on the Holy Spirit I've ever read. But no book is perfect. And one of the places uh, of disagreement between me and Tori uh, is when he starts talking about the experience of being baptized in the Holy Spirit, he says, this is something that you will absolutely know when it happens to you. And the reason we know this is because they absolutely knew it in the early church, in the New Testament. Every time you see somebody being filled with the Spirit, there's an immediate observable change. How did the disciples know that the Holy Spirit had fallen on the Gentiles? Because they heard them speaking in tongues. And this is something that happened. He goes, and the point he was trying to make was, when you ask somebody, have you, been, have you received the baptism of the Holy Spirit? It should always be a clear yes or no, because you will know. And we kind of know that when you talk to somebody, uh, and this is a great evangelism uh, um, technique, by the way. If you start talking to people about spiritual things, about the Bible, about God, and you say, do you believe in heaven? Yes. Do you believe you're going there when you die? Yes. Why do you believe that? Okay. Uh, are you born again? Are you saved? Yeah. And then if you hear somebody say, I think so, does that, doesn't that always set off some bells? Like, if you think, you, you know if you're saved. No, now, it's a shame if nobody else knows if you're saved. The world ought to know this pretty quickly. But they ought to know. And how? Why do we say that so strongly? Because they should be able to point, even if they don't remember the exact date and time, they should remember, because I prayed this prayer. I made this decision. I bowed my knee. I confessed Christ at this particular moment. Right? But Tori is saying that, no, you'll know if you're filled with the Spirit because you will feel something. It will make an immediate, tangible, observable change. Now, I love when that happens. But I also think we are living in a different time. This is consistent, entirely consistent with what I said about tongues. Clearly in Scripture, tongues, speaking in tongues, was the initial evidence of the baptism of the Holy Spirit. I mean, they, they said this. This is not reading between the lines. They received the same Holy Spirit because we heard them speaking in tongues just as we did. This was the evidence on more than one occasion. And therefore, we take from that the doctrine that tongues is the initial evidence of the Holy Spirit. And yet, as I point out, it's a little bit of a circular case living in this day and age. Because what, what do we have that they didn't have? They didn't have the book of Acts to read. They didn't have the rest of the New Testament to read. It was being written. They were living it out. But now we read this and we see, oh, what is supposed to happen when I receive the Holy Spirit? What is clearly uh, something that is made available to me? Well, praying in tongues, praising in tongues, speaking in tongues. And so what do we do? We encourage you as soon as you uh, ask for the Holy Spirit, as soon as you receive the Holy Spirit, you begin to speak in tongues. If we really believe this is the initial evidence, 
we'd almost try to hide that part. All I want you to do is receive the Holy Spirit and then watch tongues happen. But that's unrealistic. So we go in with a knowledge that this is something that we can and should do. And then by faith, we walk these things out. It's, it's very little different from our salvation experience. I, think we've ta- I know we've talked about this before. Not sure we talked about it in the series, but we probably did. And again, it's by way of reminder. Your salvation experience might have been much more dramatic than mine. Mine was not dramatic at all. Uh, I come from an unbelieving background. I came from a believing background. I already believed the Bible was true. I already believed Jesus was the Son of God. I just didn't know him. I believed the Bible was true. I just didn't read it. I just knew the stories. Uh, But since I grew up believing that the Bible was true, believing in Jesus Christ, and believing that heaven is real and hell is real, there's a God and a devil, and I didn't want to go to the devil. So when somebody showed me in the Bible, this is what salvation is. This is how you can know that your eternal destiny is secure with God. Who loves you. You didn't, there was no arm twisting, no agonizing. Once I connected the dots, I confessed Jesus Christ as my Lord. Okay? The only tangible difference at that moment was, was in me. Nobody else could have seen it. Nobody would have come up at that moment and said, what happened to you? You're glowing, uh, something or other. And I didn't feel, my eye. I didn't have an open vision. It was just an enormous sense of relief. Now, others, uh, a lot of time, you know, I've told you about Brother Mac, the guy I worked for down at Canaan Land. You know, he has an open vision of Jesus hanging on the cross when he walks into his apartment one night. Now, this is going to get your attention. And he has this tremendous, his whole life gets turned upside down. But his life was a, a much bigger mess, and he was a lot further into it than I was when I came to Christ. So, Again, how did I know I got saved? If I didn't have an open vision and I didn't hear a voice from God, where did that sense of relief come from? Faith in the Word of God. That wasn't just, I'm not saying that there wasn't a touch of the Holy Spirit just flooding me with this peace, but the vast majority, if not all of that sense of relief that I was experiencing came from simply knowing what had just happened, and the only reason I knew it was just happened was it said so in the Word of God. All that to say, Tory would make the case, and makes it a little too strongly, it doesn't stray into anything like heresy, but that when you receive the Holy Spirit, you know the second it happens because you will feel it. Have hundreds and thousands and probably hundreds of thousands and possibly millions absolutely felt something when they received the baptism of the Holy Spirit? I have no doubt of that. No doubt of that. I'm saying that how do I know I have the Holy Spirit and how can you know that you've received the Holy Spirit? Well, this way. In Luke chapter 11, verse 13, If you then, being evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? Right? 
How do you know you have the Holy Spirit? Did you ask God for the Holy Spirit? Did you? And if you did, what was his answer? Was it yes? Was it no? Was it wait? Listen, remember the tarrying meetings? Yeah, the answer is yes, obviously. Okay? I think everybody I heard got that one right. Remember the tarrying meetings? You know, Jesus said, tarry ye here in Jerusalem until you receive the promise of the Father. When you'll be baptized in the Holy Spirit not many days hence, and you'll receive power to be my witnesses. But the Holy Spirit had not been poured out on all flesh yet. But when, when, when some of the, uh, I guess the old line Pentecostals, they'll read that as saying, see, they had to wait for the Holy Spirit. But when he came on them, they knew. And so it's like, we are not just going to say, pray for the Holy Spirit. We are going to pray and pray and pray, or we are going to wait until something happens. Then we'll know we have him. Not scriptural. How do I know I have him? I asked for him. And God always answers that, always, always answers that prayer with a yes to the believer. He very much wants to fill us with the Spirit. Amen? This is good. So, now, and this is where I, I got to be careful. And I, I guess I don't have to be too careful because I don't even remember this guy's name. But somebody gave me a, a message to listen to about the anointing. What the anointing is. This is a great message on the anointing. So I listened to it, and it's some guy talking, he's talking about the anointing. He says, the anointing is power. This is what it is. Let me, let me tell you what the anointing is. He's being very, he's, I'm not exaggerating at all. He's being very, very dogmatic uh, about this. He says, the anointing is a power that you feel, and it feels like electricity. It starts in your upper arm, and you feel it go down your arm, into your hands, and out your fingers. That is not what the anointing is at all. Can somebody under the anointing and ministering under the anointing feel something like that? Absolutely. But that's not what it is. Any more than tongues is the Holy Spirit. Or falling down is the Holy Spirit. Can any of these things happen under the influence of the Holy Spirit? You better believe it. That's not what defines him. We are a faith church, not just a charismatic church, right? Now, uh, and here, even in this church, we have had uh, guest ministers come in uh, to do uh, healing meetings. And it was almost like we're going to hold you hostage until you exhibit a manifestation of healing. It made me a little, little uncomfortable because I think it put some people in the uncomfortable position of having to say something like, well, yeah, I guess there is some improvement there. Just so, uh, back to a pastor that uh, Beth and I, uh, uh, well, church that Beth and I attended, uh, would pray for people. Uh, and this was in the, really kind of in the thick of those meetings where uh, uh, laughter was a very, very uh, prominent uh, manifest, in, in prominent manifestation. And it's like, I'm going to pray for you, I'm going to lay hands on you, and they would, cont- and he would pray for you for a while, and if nothing happened, as in you didn't start laughing uncontrollably, or you didn't fall down, he wouldn't just move on, he'd have two other people come over and continue to pray for you while he moved on down the line. And I remember uh, he did that to me. I was up there in line. This was early on in my experience at this church, and he moved on. These other, uh, other two came down and were praying for me, and I'm just kind of like, and I finally looked up at him and said, 
if you're waiting on something to happen to me, you can move on because I got what I came up here for. And they're like, <laughs> So, uh, and another, in fact, uh, that we had a time where the uh, people, uh, uh, some ministers, said if, you're, if you want to be filled with the Spirit, if you're struggling with your prayer language, uh, we're going to take you into a room and we're going to work with you. We're going to help you get this. And again, uh, I had it described to me <laughs> that it really kind of was like another hostage situation. We're not going to let you go until you speak in tongues. Well, okay. Can I go now? Uh, I want to be flip about this. But on the other hand, uh, don't give up on that. I don't think... Uh, this is it. Don't fall into the trap of saying that just because I haven't felt it, just because something hasn't happened, because a particular manifestation hasn't happened, that God's promises are not true, that you're misunderstanding this, I want to cultivate an expectation. I do want to see more instantaneous results when I lay my hands on the sick. But faith says what? We know this, or we should know this by now about healing. I go up and somebody lays hands on me. If somebody has a word and I go up, I get hands laid on me. I start immediately saying, thank you, Lord, for healing me. I receive that in Jesus' name. The word says I'm healed. I am healed. And I will feel healed. This, the, this healing manifestation is still going to, uh, to happen. Uh, we know this about provision. Thank you, Lord, that all my needs are met abundantly according to your riches and glory. So we can know this about everything the Spirit promises to do in our lives. If you're struggling with something like praying in tongues, don't give up. This is way too important. Just don't say, ah, it's just tongues. We've, I hope we've established that this is something that Paul held in very high regard and expects us to hold in high regard. So, uh, but um, this is a case where priming the pump, I think, is scriptural. Now, I gotta, this is kind of got to go back. You, you've heard that, you know this. Uh, some of you are okay with it. Some of you are in my corner on this. Some of you wish I were a little less like this, but I've never been super comfortable in the laughing, falling down, hooting and hollering, rolling around meetings. It, it's, it's never been my cup of tea, but I've never abandoned them. I would, you know, we, I've been through many of those meetings here at this church, uh, and I love seeing other people blessed, but where I always drew the line was when the minister who's running these meetings, would say, like, prime the pump, start laughing in the flesh, and then let the Spirit take over. Uh, I've even heard say, if somebody, if you want to be slain in the Spirit, start by falling in faith, and he, he might take you out on the way down. Well, the problem with that is what? Where's the scripture I'm standing on? Okay? Healing is different, because that's, I have a word for that. What else do I have a word for in scripture? tongues. I know that he desires that I pray in tongues. So I am going to start out. I'm going to prime the pump by just making sounds with my mouth that I don't understand. That's speaking in tongues by faith. And I have it on the many, many testimonies over the years said it became easy once I started in the flesh. Because what you're starting in the flesh is what God wants you to do. Anyway. You're not going to understand what you're saying when it's 100% the Spirit. Not always. I think God can and does reveal that to us as well. And I'm wading into some stuff here that I can't explain everything about it. You would think with my reluctance 
to dive into some of these more exuberant manifestations of the Spirit that tongues would have been, that I would have above all people struggled with tongues. Nothing has ever been easier for me. That's the one thing I never struggled with. I felt like my, my prayer language was fully developed the first time I opened my mouth to pray in tongues. Uh, but, again, faith church. What do you, if, you, if it's a struggle, what do you say if it's a struggle to receive your healing? You keep thanking him for it. You keep declaring it, right? I will. I will pray fluently in tongues. Praying in tongues is going to be easy for me because it's important to me. It's important to the spiritual battles I'm facing in my life. I desire to be built up. I desire to be edified in my prayer life. I desire to give thanks well. And the Word of God says I do all these things when I pray in an unknown tongue, so I will pray in an unknown tongue. Declare it. Okay? Don't just wait around for God to do something. Any more than you would in any other area of your life where you're exercising faith. All right? Now, don't stop there. Earnestly desire the best gifts. Go over that list in 1 Corinthians chapter 12 regularly. Look at, what, look at how the, the Holy Spirit desires to manifest himself. And again, say over to yourself, I am available. I am sensitive to the Holy Spirit's voice. I will flow in whatever gift he deems the best one for the assembly when we are together. I will be used any way he sees fit. I will be a blessing to this church. And love will always be my motive. So you can also and should also claim supernatural boldness as the disciples experienced shortly after Pentecost. You know, we've read stories, you've read stories of believers, not just in the New Testament, but down through the ages, down through history, who gave their lives for the faith. And we admire them. And the word speaks of great reward for those who are martyred. And I'm not saying we should pray for the opportunity to follow in their steps. But if it came to that, do we have what it takes? Guess what? We do. We have the Holy Spirit. I don't think it's, it's uh, possible to have that kind of boldness, that kind of courage without the baptism of the Holy Spirit. You think about Stephen. Do you think he could die the way he died without the Holy Spirit? That's, a, that's got to be a painful way to go. Having rocks thrown at you until you die. And what did he say in the middle of it? I see the heavens open and I see Jesus standing. What else did he say with practically his dying breath? Lord, don't charge this sin to their account. How do you do that without the Holy Spirit? This is serious stuff. There is a lot of kingdom work left to do, and we can't do it without the Holy Ghost. I, bet I was looking around, and I'm not an almanac when it comes to the weather. It just seems to me that in most, the most recent autumns in my memory have been wet, and the farmers have struggled like they're darting in between rainstorms to get the, the crops out. Uh, seems like they were, they, they, they were, I know this is true, there were some crops still, still out in the field in January last year, right? I know well into December, just waiting for it to get dry enough. And uh, I'm looking at this harvest season, 
and I'm, I'm go by these fields, and it's like they're just roaring through them. Half a dozen machines in one field just whoosh. Wow, what this field was here this morning, and it's gone this afternoon. They're just bringing it in fast, 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 fast. Let's just get those machines out there. The more machines you have, we don't have to wait for anything. It's just all there for the picking. Anybody guess where I'm going with this? And what Jesus say? See the fields. Look how ripe they are. They're white unto harvest. We're only missing one thing to bring that harvest in. Laborers. Pray the Father that he send laborers into the harvest. Pray to the Lord of the harvest. And I think maybe sometimes we spend a little too much time reading the bad news about how little people want to know about Jesus, how uninterested they are in the things of God. When the fact is the harvest is still very, very ripe. The fields are ripe unto harvest. We have got to go out there and bring it in. And we are not. It's like, listen, do you want to go out there uh, with, a, with a bag and a pair of gloves and, and pick these things one by one? Or do you want to be filled with the Spirit and go out there like a combine? You can't bring in the harvest at the level that will please God and the level that God intends for you to, I should say us to, because we're doing this together, right? We cannot begin to do that without the Holy Spirit. And it's not, I don't want you to picture the Holy Spirit as a fuel. That's almost where I went with this illustration. We're this machine and we run on the fuel of the Holy Spirit. But that again, that reduces the Holy Spirit to this energy level. He's the farmer. He's driving this thing. He's directing this whole operation. We've got to listen to him. We've got to yield to him. We've got to do it his way. The stakes are too high. We talk about getting your prayer language, you being blessed, you uh, uh, hearing the voice of God, you this, that, and you're receiving the promise. But again, this isn't about you. At least it's not all about you. What do you mean it's not all about me? My father loves me and he wants to be blessed. Yes, he does. Yes, he absolutely does. But he loves your unsaved neighbor too. He wants to put them in a position where he can bless them as well so that they can enjoy the same relationship and look forward to the same future that you look forward to. Praise and worship team, stand up or come up here. Everybody else stand up with me. Go on and on about this. I want to pray in tongues because I want to pray right. I want to pray things that are going to be building me up, edifying me, even if I'm not sure exactly what I'm praying at the moment, because I want to be ready. I, want to be, I, want, I believe that as I do that, I'm training my ears to hear the Spirit of God. I'm training my mouth to speak the words of God. And it makes me more ready to seize moments where evangelism is an opportunity, to lay hands on the sick and see them effectively, uh, see them healed uh, quickly, even instantaneously. These are the things I'm I just continue to speak over myself. I speak them over you. But you've got to get in agreement with this thing too. Here's the good news. Uh, how many of you have been born again and baptized in the Holy Spirit? That is almost everybody. There are two things I want to make available. There's three things I want to make available to you. Number one is this. If you've not been born again, if you've not 
bowed your knee before the Lord Jesus Christ, confessed him as Lord, been born again, you absolutely need to do that. I can and have, even recently, preached messages on why you must be born again. And the benefits, the blessings. <laughs> blessings all mine and 10,000 beside. The life that you have as a child of God is so superior in every way to being an unsaved member of the human race. It's hard to know where to begin. It's, it's, well, it's, just, it's hard to know where to end. I know where to begin. And I said it a while ago. There really is a heaven and there really is a hell. You must be born again. If you want to give your life to Jesus Christ, that's my first invitation today. Second is this. If you're saved and you know you're saved, and if you're saved, you know you're saved. But you've not been, not been baptized in the Holy Spirit. It's not that I don't want power. It's not that I don't want to be more serious. I'm just, eh, I don't need that tongue stuff. Don't resist what the Bible has clearly told us is, is for us. If you've never experienced that baptism of the Holy Spirit, the second blessing, this is something subsequent to your new birth. I want you to come and let me pray for you to receive that. And the last invitation is this. If you've been baptized in the Holy Spirit, and it's like your salvation experience. I got saved in 1987, and I got baptized in the Holy Spirit in 1993. What else do I need to do? Well, it's kind of cool when we see these born-again, Spirit-baptized disciples. We see, them when, we see them when the Spirit is poured out. We see them baptized in the Spirit. And then a little bit later, we see them filled with the Spirit again. It's not something I want to make, I don't want to, I don't want to take it lightly, but I believe it's something that, that God has clearly instructed me to do today. I want to pray with you to be born again. I want to pray to you to be initially baptized in the Holy Spirit, and I want to lay my hands on you for an infilling, a fresh infilling for anybody that wants that. What we're talking about, the harvest, preaching the gospel, you need to be full of the Spirit. And maybe, I'm not saying you didn't come in here full of the Holy Ghost this morning. I know many of you probably did. But if you've been feeling empty lately, and you just need a fresh touch, a fresh experience, if you, and I'm not saying, well, you, you said we might not feel it. You might not feel a thing. But he can still fill you afresh. And you can go back to your chair, go back home knowing, I have asked and received. He has filled me. He has filled me with power. Fresh revelation, fresh knowledge, fresh passion. And if you're out there saying, well, I really don't need a fresh infilling of the Holy Spirit because I don't have a passion for the harvest, then you need a fresh infilling of the Holy Spirit to give you that passion. He is at work in you both to will and to work for his good pleasure. I'm going to pray. As soon as I'm done praying, you come up here and let me know what you're up here for. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for your word. Thank you for the Holy Ghost. Thank you for the power he brings into our lives, the passion he brings into our lives, the opportunity he brings into our lives, and the giftings he fills us with and manifests in our presence. Father, I pray that right now the Holy Ghost does what only he can do and convict and convince the sinner of their need for Christ. Grant them the desire. Grant them the wisdom, the humility, the boldness 
to come and receive the free gift of salvation that is only available through the finished work of Jesus Christ. Thanks again for listening. To hear more messages like this one, make sure to subscribe and check out our podcast channel for past episodes. And if you enjoyed today's message, consider sharing it with a friend. For more content and information about Living Word, check out our website at livingwordfamily.org. And remember to live the gospel and preach the gospel.